Now I'll invite the rest of you to find the book of 1 Corinthians in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can get one out of the pew in front of you. We're in 1 Corinthians today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to take a break from our study of Proverbs about wise living for our commissioning service. We're going to read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and 13, but not all at once. We're going to kind of work our way through uh, in our brief sermon, and then we'll recognize our officers. But before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer once more? I know it seems that we take a lot of breaks for prayer, but that's because this is a supernatural exchange that is happening here, and this is God's word. So I'd like for us to pray, and I'd like for you to take this time to invite the Lord to speak to you through his word. Would you bow with me? Father, I rest in your promise that your word never goes forth without accomplishing your purposes. We open ourselves up for you to accomplish your purposes in us now through your word. And pray that you would help me to serve your people well and give us all ears that hear and eyes that see and hearts that are soft and pliable in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's our commissioning service and I'm really glad that you all came because it can be easy to mistakenly think that the commissioning service is just for the people serving in specific roles within the church, like they're on the official board or they're deacons or deaconesses or trustees, etc. But it's very important to me that you understand from the outset of the commissioning service that this is for all of us. This is a commissioning service for each and every one of us in the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 is a great passage of scripture to help us understand this. So the first point I want to make is that we are, as Christians, all of us, we are commissioned as one. We are commissioned as one. We are chosen, brought in to one body and sent out with the great commission to make disciples of all nations, with the great commandments of worshiping. Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and serving people, loving people as we would have them love us, as we love ourselves. We're sent out to do these things as one. So I'd like to read to you 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 13. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are but one body, So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
Did you get that theme in that passage? It's one spirit. It's one God. It's one body. One. Now, Paul is writing here to a specific church at a specific place at a specific time, the Corinthians. And they were a very messed up church. It was a church full of disunity and factions and pride and immorality and confusion theologically. And they were a mess. And Paul is writing to them, reminding them in in the midst of all these divisions, you are one. He's not saying you ought to be one. He's not saying you should be one. He's saying the fact is you are one. The problem with disunity in a church is that it's, it's a contradiction in terms. We are united, whether we live as though we're united or not. The reason disunity hurts so bad in a church is because we are united. You know, if it were easy to just get disconnected and move off in different directions and it didn't cause pain, it wouldn't be such a problem. But it's very painful because we are one. You know, that's the same reason when one of your body parts becomes uh, disunited from the rest of your body, it hurts because your body is still one, even when it's not working properly. So we are commissioned as one. Now this means that, this means a lot of things that we don't have time to delve into today. But this means that every person, not just in this church, but all Christians in the church with a capital C, you're connected to them in a very real way. Now, this isn't just written for Doolin's Grove Church. It's, it's the church. We are all connected. This also means that each and every one of us is necessary. There's no part of the body that is unnecessary. And this is the point Paul makes a little bit later on. I want to read to you verses 21 through 26. He's coming to some conclusions through the Holy Spirit about this idea that we're one. And he writes, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorably, um, on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated, treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, again, he's not saying this is how it ought to be. He's saying this is how it is. We need each other. And some of you may not feel that you are one of the essentials of Doolin's Grove Church. Yet sometimes I wonder, you know, our problem isn't great disunity and theological confusion. Um, one of our problems is just lack of consistent commitment to being a part of the fellowship. You know, people will drop out for like long periods of time and come back. And I was that way often before I became a pastor. And now as a pastor, I see it from a different lens. But I think one of the reasons why that is prevalent is because often if we're not up here, we feel unnecessary or like we're not essential. Like we can drop out of the fellowship for a while. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning attendance. I've never been one to try to guilt you into attendance. 
I mean active participation in the life of the church, in relationships with the people, in learning and growing. People drop out because they don't realize how essential they are. You are an essential member of this church. You are an essential part of this body. You know, we need you. You need each other. Okay, and the body suffers when we neglect the fellowship. The body suffers when we neglect to be the church together. Okay, it's, it's not that you should be essential or we should treat you as more essential. It's that you are essential. This is reality. So we're commissioned as one. No one should feel expendable. Everyone is an essential part of this body. You know, whether I'm about to ask you to stand up because you're on the official board or not, whether you are able to come and be a part of the Sunday morning worship service or if you are shut in because of physical limitations, you know, whether you are you know, an, an elder at the church or whether you are a child, whether you are a man or a woman, whether you're rich or you're poor, everybody is essential. So we're commissioned as one and we're commissioned as many. On the one hand, we're commissioned as one body, but on the other hand, we're commissioned as many diverse parts of the body. Now, for this point, I want to read to you verses 14 through 20 of 1 Corinthians 12. Paul writes, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Just that imagery, the whole body being an eye is bizarre. But if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members and the body, each one of them, as he chose. God arranged you into this body each individual one of you, as he chose, with your unique function. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So there are many different types of people that God calls into the church with a capital C and that he gathers into local churches like ours. Okay, And he has chosen to bring you and graft you into this body. And the question for you to to ask yourself now is, what is your function? Because you do have a function here. Even if you're not one of the ones who will stand as a you know an official officer of the church, you have a vital function if you are a Christian. You have a vital function in the global church. You know, your function may lead you out of this church into another group of believers someday. And you have a vital function in this church while you're here and part of this fellowship. So I wonder if you're clear on what your function is, on what your, your gifting is, on what your unique role is, or if that's something you haven't thought much about. Or maybe if you feel like you've been sort of shoehorned into a role that does not, is not what you're meant to be doing within the church. Or maybe if you're in a season in which you're serving in a capacity that really is not the function that you feel God has gifted you for, but it's a necessity and so you're serving I think we're all at different places with this, but you need to know that you're essential and you need to know that you have a specific function that you're designed to fulfill here. So he lists 
some possible functions, and I'm going to read those to you. And I want you to think about them as I do. Back in verse 8, he says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. Now he's talking here about spiritual giftedness, about spiritually empowered service in the church. Okay, so some, it might be Holy Spirit, supernatural Holy Spirit, uh, words of wisdom, ability to see reality for what it is, ability to speak plainly about what God's word is and how it relates and, you know, how to make wise decisions. For others, it may be words of wisdom, of knowledge, which I think can, I think there's a spectrum. I think that can apply to just people who, that's what their brains do. They're good at processing and clarifying, communicating knowledge. And I think there's times when the Holy Spirit does just give a word of knowledge to people. And some of you may have experienced that. To another faith by the same Spirit, some of you are supernaturally able to just have deeper faith than others of us. And we need you to speak that faith and and let us borrow that faith and to pray according to that faith. Some of us are weaker in faith than others. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. You know, I've been around people whose prayers for healing over sick and injured people just seem to be more effective than mine. I do not think I have the gift of healing, but I've been in hospital rooms with people who they pray for healing. It's like you can feel that God, God may just well do this. And I'm not prone to think in those terms. I'm very naturalistic usually. That's something that God has been humbling me about for many years. But we have this one same Holy Spirit that is empowering us to be the church in all these neat little unique ways. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these different ways that the Holy Spirit has throughout church history empowered individual members within churches to do Supernatural things. Then he goes on over in verse 27, actually verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? All these rhetorical questions, of course, the answer is no. Not everybody does all these things. So what, what is it that God is doing in you? What is it that God is enabling you to do, prompting you to do? It is something. He didn't graft any of you in to be pew sitters. That's not a spiritual gift. He did not appoint apostles, teachers, and then attendees. We're all active, functioning parts of the body. And it's really exciting to start to discover what your callings are. You know, for me, it became early, early on, it became clear that about the only thing I can do is, is teach. And I've always said, if I can preach, teach, and counsel, if I could just do those three things all day long, I would be a very happy pastor. It's, it's when it gets into the areas of administration and things that I'm weak there. And you know it's okay because some of you are really strong there. And that's your function. And you help me. 
So there's none of us here who are a, a jack of all trades. We're all here to work together as a team. So what's your function? We're commissioned as one. We're commissioned as many. And then lastly, most importantly, actually, if you have phased out, if you've been thinking about lunch, if you've not been paying attention, now's the time to focus back in. This is the most important of the three points. We are commissioned as one and we are commissioned as many. But most importantly, we are commissioned to love. We are commissioned to love first and foremost, above and beyond anything else. We are commissioned to love. And I know that sounds cheesy to say, but it is the the granite hard fact. That is why God called you into this church, so that you could love. Now for this, I'm going to read to you the very tail end of 1 Corinthians 12 at verse 31. And then I'm going to go on into chapter 13. He says, After talking about all these gifts and all these functions within the body, he says, and I will show you still more. Let me back that up. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And then end of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So some of you, when I was reading out those supernatural gifts, you might have been thinking, man, I'll never be spiritual enough to do those sorts of things. See, what Paul is saying, even if you're able to speak with the the tongues of angels and men and you can, you know, a a, um, Hispanic person walks in and suddenly you can speak in Spanish and you don't even know Spanish and it's miraculous. Even if you can do that, but if you don't have love, you might as well just be a kid sitting on the floor with some pots and pans, banging them together, making a bunch of racket worthless without love. He goes on. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Even if you become a prophetic guru and you, and you sit in your home and people flock to you to hear words of prophecy and you can just through the, sheer force of your faith actually make Mara Mountain move over here to be beside the church. That's all fantastic, but without love, it equals nothing. Completely worthless. He goes on in verse three. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So even if you are the most generous person in the world, But if you don't have love, it's no good. Now, one of the startling facts of that chapter or that paragraph is, theoretically, it must be possible to do some of these things without love. And if theoretically it's possible to move mountains with our faith and and give up even our bodies to be burned without love, surely it's possible to be a pastor without love. And surely it's possible to be a Sunday school teacher without love. And surely it's possible to be a deacon or deaconess without love. Surely it's possible to serve on the official board without love. And if we do, no matter how hard we work and no matter how excellent it is, if it's without love, it's rendered completely worthless. 
how much wasted energy and time has been poured out in churches across the world because it was loveless and therefore worthless. This is a startling passage, an incredibly important passage. Love is, it is the cargo. It is the point. My, I have, I have the most visible function at Doolin's Grove. I'm the one who's usually up here talking, as you know. But my very best sermon, you know, whatever it may be, the, the, the very height, the maximum of my preaching abilities, whichever sermon that may have been, preached without love is nothing compared to your clumsiest deed done with love. You may have, with a heart full of love, tried to enter into a conversation with someone and it went terribly. But that's infinitely more valuable than if I get up here and just preach the most polished sermon ever preached without love. You see how the kingdom of God flips everything upside down? It's amazing how God's kingdom works. And that that invests every little thing that we do with huge eternal significance. Because he's going to go on to say, and I'm about to read to you, of all these different functions that I've talked about, love is the only thing that endures into eternity. There's going to come a time when all these other functions cease. Let me read to you verses 8 through 13. Love never ends. Some of your translations may say love never fails, but I really think love never ends is, is more faithful as a translation, and I'll tell you why. I think you'll see why as we keep reading. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now you may have lost the train of thought as I read, but what he's saying is when we prophesy or... What example? When we prophesy or use you know, the gifts of tongues or knowledge, we use those things in, in the way that a child would. And that'll become evident when Christ returns and, and we know perfectly and we see the glory perfectly and we realize perfectly. You know, I'll look back on all my hardest efforts at preaching and I'll, I'll just laugh. Like the way you do when you look at your drawings as a child or something you wrote as a child. You know, when you were a kid, you're probably very serious about it. Um, my kids are making books all the time, drawing and writing. And I remember now, just I just now thought of it. I remember making a book when I was a kid about myself being an awesome spy. <laughs> and uh, it's funny, I just thought of that. Elias does that kind of stuff all the time. But, you know, if I were to find that now and look at it, I would not be amazed at my abilities and and how insightful the writing was and how accurate the illustrations were. It would be cute. It would be like, oh, that's funny how I used to try to do that. You know, when Christ comes and we see the reality 
we're going to look back on all these works that we've taken so seriously and we've thought were so mature and so awesome. And we're going to see them in light of the reality for, you know, the child's play that it really is. And I don't think it's going to be a negative thing. I think it's going to be, it's, it's going to be heartwarming. I think it's going to be cute. You know, God so patiently endured our attempts to be the church for so long. He loved us so well while we were trying to be the church. But you know, there's one endeavor that's not going to be that way. There's one endeavor that we do now that's going to endure, that's going to carry on ceaselessly on into eternity. That when we do it now, we're, we're in a way, in a very real way, connected to eternity. And that's loving one another. Loving one another is different from all these other tasks. All these other tasks can be done without love. So what does this love look like? I'm going to read to you one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And this is going to draw the sermon to a close in 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 4. This is what this love looks like. Okay, so more than thinking, what's my function in the church? Think, am I loving like this? Where do I need to repent? How can I grow? How can I enable Christ's love? How can I trust in his love more to come into me and change me so that I can love more like this? 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4 says, Love is patient and kind. So there, right off the bat, such a mundane quality. But just the simple act of being patient with people, of giving people the benefit of the doubt, of just giving people room to grow, of giving people time, of, of not crashing down someone's head, you know, because they have annoyed you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love does not see someone else given an opportunity or an accolade and feel angry. Love doesn't do that. And love does not, when receiving an opportunity or an accolade, think highly of itself. Love doesn't operate that way. It is not arrogant or rude. It's humble and it's considerate of people. It does not insist on its own way. Love is able to say, you know, here's my preference, but it's not all about me. It's about these scores of other people and it's about what God is up to. And it, it may not be my way. My way is not that important. It is not irritable or resentful. Your translation may say, does not count up wrongdoing. Some of us have a tendency to keep a little mental spreadsheet of ways people have wronged us or failed, and we keep score, and that's unloving, deeply unloving but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So we get this picture of the quality of people that we are becoming. It is infinitely more important that you are becoming like this than that you are working really hard in church functions. That will come and then that will be meaningful. But don't skip this step and jump into church activity because it'll be worthless activity. 
Everything begins here. So I, before I draw the sermon to a close and we begin our commissioning service, um, I'll just share with you how this uh, has convicted me as your pastor. You know, the Bible says, confess your sins one to another. And uh, I think I need to lead the way in that. And I realized um, actually about 3 a.m. this morning, I woke up and basically rewrote the whole sermon. And that happens sometimes, you know, all your work through the week. And then God's like, nah, do it differently. And uh, I realized that often as I'm scurrying about, especially on Sunday mornings, I'm not really loving you guys. Um, I am often so distracted by my functions and my tasks that I would just as soon blow by you in the hallway. And I'm not, not all the time thinking about how you're doing on Sunday mornings. I'm, I have fallen prey to the gravitational pull to be really busy about doing stuff often. Now, I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying I, I hate you. I'm just saying I see in myself that I have not always lived according to this scripture. And what's really sick about it is it happens especially on Sunday mornings. Which you could expect because that's when most of my responsibilities kind of come to a point, you know, having prepared the service and Sunday school and the sermon. And, um, you know, often I'm so focused on the sermon. I've even told people, they'll ask if I like the special music, which usually happens right before the sermon. I've often told people, I didn't even really hear it. I was just thinking sermon, 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 sermon. And that's not, that. I don't feel like that has been loving to you guys. It has caused me not to be present minded in conversation often. And it may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's, it is a big deal. Uh, I get to be your pastor. And Sunday mornings when I get to see a lot of you that I won't get to see otherwise through the week. And I do love you. And if I've ever made you feel unloved because I was rushed or because I had other things that I felt I needed to attend to. And so I, you could see in my eyes, I wasn't present in conversation. I'm sorry. I do love you. So thank you for hearing me out on that. So now... I want us to pray together because some of you may also be feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's time for us to deal with God about these things. And then we'll transition into the uh, commission service. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. I thank you that your work in this world does not depend on our awesomeness. I thank you that the highest calling you've called us to is incredibly doable with the Holy Spirit, with the, uh, the grace that you've given us through Jesus. We can love one another. There's so many things I often feel like we've got to be doing or we've got to be doing more excellently. And we'll work toward those things. But Lord, help us to, if we fail at everything else, help us to succeed here. Or if there's anybody in this room that has not received the forgiving love of Jesus Christ, who is still trying to be morally good and thereby accepted by you. Lord, please end that now. Convict us of our sins. Enable us to receive that forgiveness. Fill us with that grace and that love so that we can just be dispensers of it into each other's lives. Lord, help us to to be united as one body. But help us to function vibrantly and vigorously in our individual functions within this church. Clarify in each of our minds what it is you're calling us to do. Whether it's big or small or visible or invisible, whatever it is. But above all, enable us to love. 
In Jesus' name, amen.